is it? It's Welcome to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today our guest is Dan Hall. Dan Hall is a funny addiction recovery speaker who grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and now makes his home in beautiful Granville, Michigan. As a young person, he had a stutter that was so bad it also made him skip classes. And we are going to talk to him about the good, the bad, and the funny. Aaron and I have been talking back and forth and everything, and he goes, you know, if you're going to do this, you actually got to get up and do something. I said, well, you know, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, I speak on Sundays. I do public speaking. It can't be that hard, so I'm all ready to go. And then Tuesday, I get a call from Aaron. He goes, are you all set to go? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He says, well, I want to tell you. He said, from comedians, just so you know, you're going to get up there the first night, and you're going to get a little nervous, and your hands are going to get a little sweaty, and you're going to start feeling a little tinge in your stomach and a little lightheaded, and anxiety is going to set in and you're going to start looking for the quickest exit and everything and I'm thinking to myself man if I wanted all these feelings I could just call my ex-wife <laughs> oh yeah hey oh yeah. Dan Hall thank you so much for being on our show today well thank you it is just great to be part uh, of the show and to be associated with you too I've known you guys and uh, it's just great I, I feel privileged that I got asked to be on the show absolutely yeah, it's our pleasure. Dan, you're uh, an addiction recovery speaker. And I said funny addiction recovery speaker because <laughs> you are a funny guy. And I didn't mean to make it sound like the addiction was funny. Uh, it's it's serious business. So how long has that uh, been a uh, part of what you do? Well, my addiction is a 20 years ago. I was addicted to pornography and um, I got my accountability partner friend at that time, Ivers, he confronted me on that. And then out of that, I had a choice to flee um, or to stay. And luckily, I stayed. Um, fleeing would have been leaving my family. And I stayed. And then out of that, I started getting involved in programs um, for men dealing with all types of addictions, one of them being Celebrate Recovery. Um, because of that and my life story I would share, I started to get invitations from men's groups uh, both large and small, and from churches to speak about my life story. And then that just led into more and more um, areas that I'm able to share stuff. Awesome. Thank you very much for uh, for that and for the work that you've been doing there. I got to chime in there, too. Thank you, Dan, for your transparency there and all the work that you have done in the recovery world. Aaron, of course, comes from a recovery background himself. And uh, I, I don't talk about this too much, but my uh, addiction in the past also pornography and uh that ended in 2000 so i'm uh coming up on that 20 year mark myself look at this just a bunch of sober comedians hanging out <laughs> and having a great time <laughs> yeah i've never had a drink of alcohol but uh but the porn whew, yeah all <laughs> that. uh actually aaron and i did a uh a uh, celebrate recovery show um thanksgiving uh, uh friendsgiving not too long uh after we started working together and uh, as we were talking about uh, what I might share from a recovery perspective, he was like, I'd really like to see some of that more pornography on the stage. And we had to take a, a step back from that. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how context is so important, isn't it? <laughs> was uh, our Clean Comedy Time show at Voyager Church, was that the first time that you'd ever done stand-up comedy? That is my first time ever. Um over the years, I, I've been 
sort of a comedian. Back in high school, we had a group called the Nut Club. And there was about five <laughs> of those guys that just did weird things around school unexpectedly. And we actually got censored by the school um, for doing it. So we had to quit the Nut Club for about a month or so until they gave us guidelines on what we could and what we couldn't do. I think I think the toga party during the lunch hour was the thing that, that made it all quit. Um but um, boy, boy, the inner comedian in me really wants to run with this, but I'm I'm holding back. <laughs> but out of that, I don't know. I think the Lord blessed me with a quick, quick wit and be able to respond to stuff and um, public speaking. So when when we decided to uh, bring this clean comedy night, which um, is just awesome, I give that thing kudos like crazy. Um, Aaron said you gotta you gotta be part of it and. And I said, sure. And um, it turned out better than I thought it would. I, uh, I, I have more respect for people than comedians that do this quite often for coming up with material because that was the most difficult part. I, you know, just look back in my life is what I did to get the material. But still, that's a very long and tedious process of finding what works and what doesn't work and, and how the audience will respond to it. So for my first time, I was very pleased. And Aaron did a wonderful thing for me as we walked in. He said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to loosen up the crowd for you. So we're going to put you on last. I'm going, well, oh, that sounds good to me. And then I started thinking about it. I said, well, they put me on last because they know I'm going to be bad and the show will be done with. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you know it's it's actually quite the opposite. Um, you know the you you as the as a key leader in that organization and somebody that the whole audience knew, uh, and and you and I had worked together a little bit on your set, so I I knew that you were going to crush it. I knew that you were going to come out, and you were going to do well, and the audience was just going to blow up, and everything was going to be awesome, and to end with that huge moment of excitement is much, much better than to have somebody that uh, the audience doesn't necessarily know follow that. Uh, so it was, it was actually to protect the other people on the lineup of having to, to follow a, a, a show stealer, you being the show stealer. Well, geez, that, that makes me feel good, Aaron. Thanks so much for saying that. <laughs> yes. And if, if you want this opportunity, hire clean comedy time to come to your place. <laughs> yeah. You can find us at cleancomedytime.com on Facebook, Instagram, and so on. Uh, Dan, uh, I, I gotta ask, um, cause you, you had, uh, that first, you know, the, the ex-wife joke, you know, there's nothing like a, a, a solid ex-wife joke to kick things off. But as you you progressed, um, your material was, uh, short. Uh, so, so the, the real question is, uh, how tall are you? I am five six. Um, See, that's that's not terribly short. That's not, really. that's not terribly short. But I I have found over life that um, in my business and what I do, I always remind people that I am the short, good looking guy. If you ever <laughs> remember who I am, that's the best way to do it. Got it. If I got reference to a certain person in the show business, I think Tom Cruise is also short. <laughs> uh, the short side. Um... Jamie Foxx is short. There you go. Uh, I don't know if you'd put uh, Danny DeVito in the short and good-looking category. No, but I got to tell you a funny story about that. So my friend Ivers Abside, he's six foot four, and uh, we are best friends. As a matter of fact, we 
uh, went on vacation with this time together and everything. But we have become known, affectionately known as the twins. You remember Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we are affectionately known as. Yeah. That is the, the definition of a concept movie. What's the movie? It's called Twins. It stars Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to know anything else. Being short, but we get a lot of bad rats being short people. We really do. You ever notice that when you're in a crowd, if you're short, and people will go up and say, hey, can anybody see Dan? You know, they're standing right there next to me. Or they're standing behind you, and they'll go up and say, hey, are you standing up? You know, what do you mean, am I standing up? Of course I'm standing up and stuff. But short people have a lot of good things, and I think you don't realize that. Let's take, for instance, buying clothes. You know, Tiny over there, he's got to go to the tall and big store to buy clothes, and he buys a pair of jeans that costs him 70 bucks for a pair of jeans or 30 bucks for a shirt or something like that. Not me, man. I go into Myers, I run to the children's department, push the old lady out of the way, and I can buy my jeans for twelve ninety-five. <laughs> Not everybody can do that. There you go. Anything to save a buck. And that is true. (laughs) Which part? The pushing old ladies out of the way? I don't want to admit to that. I could go to uh, the children's department or the boys' department and find jeans. The same exact jeans that are in the men's department, but like 10 bucks cheaper. But I do get that thing all the time. You know, you walk into a place and people go, I've seen Dan. You've seen Dan? And I'm standing right there. I know they're being... You're standing right there. Yeah, I'll I'll have to take your word on that. Uh, I'm uh, 6'4", so... Yeah, and in West Michigan, that's just, you know, kind of average. (laughs) Right, right. I'm I'm the average height of 6'4 in Michigan. (laughs) Yeah, I have never seen so many tall people when I came to West Michigan. You know, Mm -hmm. that that was the old joke, you know, if you wanted to rob a bank, you should be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl as a 6'2", and there's three of you, and nobody's going to know who you are. (laughs) Dan, now... the. You grew up in uh, Rockford, Illinois. We mentioned that a little bit earlier today. Uh, you live in Granville today. What brought you to beautiful West Michigan? Um, a company I worked for way back when, Crescent Electric Supply, had bought a local company here um, out, um, purchased a company from a local family, and I was brought in to run or oversee the facilities in Grand Rapids, Holland, South Bend, and Fort Wayne, Indiana. So um, I had choices at that time for St. Louis, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Grand, or Grand Rapids. And luckily, uh, as I look back those 30 years later, I'm glad I took Grand Rapids. We just fell in love with the area and the lake and the people. It was just, it was just a good choice and still, in my mind, just a very good choice. Glad to have you here and uh, glad that, uh, that you've made West Michigan your home. Dan, when it comes to your um, your speaking and um, being a, a funny speaker and things like that, uh, you mentioned your your high school time with, with the Nut Club. Did you do other, did you do theater? Did you do other things like that? You know, I did I did a little theater, not, not a lot because of my stuttering issue. Um, I, ha- I forced myself to go and and would have small bit pieces here and there, but not the main stuff, just because I so feared talking in front of people. I so feared getting up front uh, and speaking in front of people that I, and just in, like I mentioned in class, I would have English class or composition or whatever, and uh, I would find ways to get out of the day that I was going to speak so I did not have to speak in front of everybody because I so dreaded, because I would just, I just stuttered terribly when I got up in front of people. 
So what changed then? If you, you had your stutter, is that something that you've been able to overcome? I've not really heard it now. Yeah, you know, I um, just, I think, growing out of it and getting confidence and stuff, I still will find myself in situations that if my nerves get to a point on something that I, it'll start crossing my mind again, and I'll go, okay, Lord, you know, <laughs> give it to you. And then, you know, once I get going, I'm fine. But I can remember when I got married, um, and I'm up front, I was so worried the day before, the day before I got up front, and the pastor said, and do you, Dan, I, Dan, take so-and-so. I, I, I had to stop for a second because I, I started to stutter saying her name. And I still mm. remember my best man behind me going, telling me, this is her name, this is her name. So, you know, <laughs> I can still remember that from being so nervous over that, you know, being in front of people. And since then, um, as you, you've grown out of it and so on, um, by the time you started doing uh, dictionary recovery speaking, is that something that you had to contend with for that, uh, either the first time or first several times? No, at that time, I really didn't, Brian. Um, I was at a point that I had been in front of people because I, being in the, the sales and business development and doing presentations in front of people, I had worked through that part of it. And then I, I think you, you, you two will understand that, you know, when you, when you have, when you have spoke on something enough, it, it doesn't become routine, but you have a comfortableness of what you're going to say that you, you don't consciously think of it as much. So you're just working through it. So I think when I do addiction recovery or when I'm speaking on Sundays, like um, this last two, two weeks ago, I did a two week series on um, the six healthy signs of a church and by Chuck Swindoll, and I would two days before both Sundays, I would stand up still, stand up in front of a mirror and walk through my whole sermon in my mind and on paper so I know what I'm going to say when I get up. So that takes away a lot of that fear, too. Just like when I did the comedy night, I can't tell you how many times I went over that routine before that night. I mean, probably hundreds, I would imagine. Really? You practiced that? I mean, of course you did. Yeah, of course you did. You know, so you just do that. And out of that, you take away that fear of the stuttering. Yeah. You know, you know, it's amazing how often, uh, as I talk to people about stand up, how often there's something, a uh, speech impediment or stuttering or uh, stage fright or, or big, big things that people have had to overcome. And then they end up in the most unlikely situation of being in front of people doing exactly what has been a challenge for them. Yeah. You know, and I think on my side, I think that's part of the Lord putting me in a place to do what he what he wants me to do in my life. And that's reaching men, you know, who are dealing with addictions. And I, he puts me in those places to trust him to do that. I think that's that's very um, it's it's very comforting for me, knowing that when I get up there that um, he's going to put the words in my mouth. So I don't have to worry about that. But being able to share my life story on all the stupid things I did in life, but how, uh, when it's all said and done, it's God's been glorified through it. I mean, I always tell people I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm the knucklehead of knuckleheads when it came to doing things in life. And, uh, if God can fix me and forgive me, he can do that with anybody. Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back.
Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, check out my other podcast as well. It's called A Quick Chat with the Unemployed Alcoholic. In that podcast, uh, we take a deep dive into who people are, what's going well in their lives, and what they're struggling with. I know I'm always amazed at how deep those conversations go and how much I learn about other people and even about myself through just a quick chat. Find it everywhere by searching A Quick Chat with the Unemployed Alcoholic. Hey, welcome back after that quick break. Dan, uh, thanks for sharing with us a little bit about your journey into comedy and speaking and everything. What's uh, one thing that's going well for you right now? Well, you know, Aaron, thanks for thanks for that question. It's always, you know, people seem to always ask what's going bad in lives these days, what's going well in life right now. You know, I'm at a point in life right now that, um, you know, I am debt-free. I don't owe anybody anything. And it's so nice to be able to help others. Um, now in times of their need, I've got a, a text. Matter of fact, today um, our church was with a group uh, of home down here called Genesis for Handicapped People. And there's a lady there that needs money or she's going to get her power turned off. And she has a 17-year-old daughter. And being able just to say, yep, um, the Lord's blessed me. I want to bless them. And um, that's just a joy. I mean, that's if you aren't, if you're listening to this and you aren't regularly tithing or helping people when you are able to do that, you are missing a joy that you cannot imagine. Ah, cool. Yeah, that, that that's a wonderful thing to be positioned to help people and uh, and to be debt-free. Now, I know you've got a house. I've heard Dave Ramsey talk about walking through the house that's paid off. The grass feels a little different. Does it feel different to you? It, it does. I mean, there is definitely a a thing that when I made that last house payment that the next month, it took like three or four months to get it out of my mind that, oh, yeah, house payment's coming up, house payment's coming up. Um, and it took a while to get that over, but it is a very nice feeling knowing um, you know, knowing that you don't owe. There's a downside to that too, and that is that you could get too comfortable in your own situation that you stop relying on the Lord. Um, and so you could find yourself. I think that's the reason the Lord didn't give me a lot of money because I'd probably be one that would turn around and <laughs> even though so I wish it, a little bit more every so often would be nice. But I understand. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, you're you're pretty grateful for where you're at, but uh, it, you'd you'd be concerned if you were a little further ahead. There might be some pride or something that would sneak in, huh? Oh, absolutely. If you look at areas in my life that have brought me to my knees. It was my pride and ego that mm. brought me to my knees. I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread and seven up and uh, come to find out that I wasn't. And it took bringing me to my knees to, to, uh, to do that. I got to ask, is the sliced bread and seven up a combined thing or <laughs> do you- Well, it depends if you toast, if you toast the bread and put tomato and cheese on it, then you can mm-hmm. have and up at the same time. Okay. Because I was imagining soaking the sliced bread in the 7-Up and eating it with a spoon. No, 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 that just wouldn't. I've never tried that, but maybe you could if you you had to. I mean, we're in Michigan. I would expect Verner's, but not 7-Up. Yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. Sort of like Fago. I never heard of Fago Pop until I got to Michigan. (laughs) Fago Pop. (laughs) That is is a strong Midwestern accent there. (laughs) Yes, indeed. 
But here's a here, here's a funny side. My real name is Danny Ray because all my relatives are from Southern Illinois, way down Southern Illinois. And when I would go back home, from my mom was down there. If I stayed over a week, the accident would come back in, and I'd be Danny Ray. So it didn't. It, it did not take long. Like you, people up here wash their car. I wash the car. Certainly. In deep Southern Illinois, are we talking Cairo, spelled Cairo, but pronounced Cairo? We're talking about an hour north. I, I've traveled uh, I've traveled south before. I've gone all the way to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. Ooh. And you've gone <laughs> nice. as far west as Burnham's too, haven't you? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but, you know, I think part of it is is that, you know, when when things are going well, you just have to be cautious that you don't fall back in to areas that are areas that you know are weaknesses for you. Yeah, that's those are wise words, Dan. And you know, obviously, I've known you for for a bit now, and uh, you've been a uh, you know you've been an accountability partner and a sponsor for me. And uh, you know, that's an important relationship. So I I depend on those words of wisdom from you. Uh, one of which, like you just said, uh, it's important to not get too comfortable, too confident in our own skin. <laughs> so yeah, those are good things, Dan. Uh, what, what are you struggling with? I think like most people <clears throat> right now, I, I don't want to say most people, but some people uh, going through this whole COVID-19, um, I actually found myself in some days in a minor state of depression on just, you know, just being home by myself, having no human contact, um, going through just that loneliness part of it. Um, there were some times that I could tell that I was just depressed in a way of just like, oh, I'm so tired of this. I'm so weary of this. I'm, you know, and going through those times when you had no contact, you know, not being able to see my kids or my grandchildren, um, not being able to get out and see people, not having church on Sundays. Um, you know, when I did a sermon, you'd go over to church and videotape it, you know, to be played on Sunday. So it's just you and the sound guy. Um, so there were some times that real struggles going through there um, just in depression. Isolation is very difficult. That sounds just like any open mic night. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's talking to you. No, there's no human contact. You get yeah. depressed. It, yeah. Hey, I found I found the the comedian's way out of things though is if it, if the clip doesn't go well, you just say I was testing new material. <laughs> That's boy. You, most people have to be around comedy for years and years to pick up on that trick. <laughs> but you know, I will say you can really tell. Because I went, um, Aaron, you'll have to correct me, but I went down to right at the beginning of Gildas before all this hit in at, I forget what the location was. And you were there. And Brian, I think you were there too, um, down off of, um, oh, can't forget. Monroe. Monroe Community Church. Yeah, Monroe. But you can really see a person that just has the natural ability to be a comedian and one's that force their way through it. And it's so interesting to see the ones that can just, I, the one thing I've learned out of watching comedian stuff is the power of pause, the power of 
stopping and not saying anything and just let that moment turn on itself for a while. Um, well, that really comes uh, out of uh, the, the great uh, Jack Benny, who people knew his comic persona so well that uh, this just I have to reenact this joke because it's right on top top of my mind here. Um, it, it, Benny uh, Jack Benny comes out of the theater into the alley and uh, is uh, mugged, and the guy holds a gun on him, and says, "Your money or your life," and. He just stands there and the audience knows how cheap he is. Yep. And he sat there, said nothing. And he got a five minute laugh. <laughs> and finally the laugh started to die away. Says, and the mugger says, well, and he says, I'm thinking. <laughs> so yeah. that pause was really only possible because he had clearly established his character on stage before the audience got to that point so that when it came he didn't have to say a thing yeah i i too think that the power of pause or the timing is uh is real important but i would i do have to say dan that um the folks it's been my experience the more comedians i get to know and dig into their process and whatnot the ones that are incredibly natural, the ones that it just comes so easy for, and they get up on stage and they just take a room apart night after night after night, and everything is just effortless. It's always amazing to me how hard they work to make it look that easy. Uh, most comedians, uh, it's, it's not a flowy, natural thing. It's hard work and, uh, and then enjoying the process when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld said, if a ditch digger can work 40 hours a week, that's the least I can do. So, you know, I think, too, that I found out, too, that clean comedy is just really, that's a, that's a talent. I mean, I've sat and I grins and stuff and listen to people that don't do clean comedy, and it just becomes a shock and all. You know, how can I shock you the most to get a laugh out of you compared to ones that are just clean comedy um, that's a talent. I mean, I just, you just look over the, the comedians, the comedians in life and stuff, you know, like a Jack Benny or a Bob Hope or somebody like that who could just do clean comedy. And it was funny. Yeah. It, uh, I, I obviously am drawn to clean comedy as Brian is as well. And our, our little venture here of clean comedy time. Um, but I also, uh, I, I respect a blue comedian as well. Uh, blue being somebody who uses, uh, you know, kind of inappropriate language and and whatnot or or topics. Um, I, you know, I think funny can come in both uh, categories. But the thing about clean comedy is you're never going to offend somebody uh, by being too clean. Uh, somebody who chooses to go the route of blue comedy, you know, they can they can turn it into a unde an undesirable experience uh for the audience you know and and that's just uh you know that's to me that's kind of doing the audience a disservice dan you had uh i i don't want to just gloss over it because you had touched on some really uh powerful stuff earlier you know you had mentioned uh depression you had mentioned uh the results of being isolated and i know that's something that brian and i have heard uh consistently as we've gotten the opportunity to talk to people and find out what they're struggling with. This is hard. This is a difficult time to, 
uh, be alone at times and uh, be able to try to figure out what the new reality is going to look like for us. So I, I thank you for sharing that. I thank you for your transparency there. Um, I know transparency is something that is uh, that comes naturally for you, <laughs> just like the comedian that we talked to. You've probably worked very hard to make it look that effortless to be that transparent, huh? Yeah, I think <clears throat> transparency now, I, I'm, um, I have no issues admitting my addiction or where that's at. I have found out that that opens doors. I remember um, doing an interview with a company here in town a couple of years back and, you know, we were talking about stuff and they, they said, so tell, tell us about yourself. And I just heard the nudge, the, the nudge from the Lord going, well, tell them. And I went through my whole addiction and stuff and these four guys around the table all done and their mouths were just like dropped open, you know, and I can wow. And so let me just get this straight. So you're in an interview with yeah. four guys interviewing you and you yeah. felt to share your struggles with pornography. Yep. So they said, so tell us something about your life. And I shared what my struggles were with pornography and how I came out of that and how the Lord worked through that and stuff. Um, I got the job. And two weeks after I got the job, one of those gentlemen cornered me in the office and said, hey, we need to talk because I deal with that. I, I deal with pornography. I have an addiction. So, wow. you know, being able to share what my past has been and use it to reach other men, um, that's just, you know, that's like, remember the old song, um, you know, I have a, oh, the old Bible song you grew up, you know, put the... Uh, candle in a basket. I forget, I forget under a bushel when your light under a bushel, whatever it is, you know, if you're hiding what, if you're hiding your life, what the Lord has done for you, then you're, then you're doing yourself a disservice and all the people around you. So um, it, it's that way. It's very hard. Brian, maybe we can find a clip of that uh, and, and play a 10 second clip of that, of that wonderful bushel basket song. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Hide in under a bush. Yeah, I don't remember it either. But I'm just gonna play that. Hide bush. No, I'm gonna let it shine. That's what I couldn't remember. What? Yeah, let it shine. Let it shine. Let it. Brian, you're a singer. Uh, I think I will just uh, use the two of you as a little duet there. <laughs> yeah. Package that up. And... <laughs> Boy, you know, that's one of my favorite things about when we all get together and talk is how we can go back and forth from incredibly serious and emotional topics and then laugh together. I, I, that's that's so important and so crucial and, and just so enjoyable to me to be able to be genuine, be real, and then laugh a little bit. Well, I think, you know, you, you hit something there, Aaron, and, and Brian, I think you can attest this too, is that when I speak or I talk to men and statistics come out that, and Brian, when you, uh, Aaron, when you were over at the house and Brian, when, next time I do a brisket, I'll invite you. You can come over too. We do a brisket at the house. Mm -hmm. Dan's brisket is so good. Mm. But um, I show statistics and it's so true that nine out of 10 men do not have a true male friend in their life that knows everything about them. That's, that's a scary and powerful stat. So if I heard you one out of 10 does, right. <laughs> I think that's a little high. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
So, you know, somebody who they really who they really share everything with. And you think about that one out of 10 could be high when you say that, but that could be high. Um, you know, then you go, you know, the one out of 100. But um, men very seldom open up on what's going on in their life. That's why you'll see them all sit around and now it becomes a, you know, who's done what and, and they try to to outdo the other person because they don't want to really open up on who they are. And that's a sad thing because men will really miss a very important friendship in life if they don't have somebody that they can completely be honest with about what's going on. Well said, sir. Dan, thank you for uh, talking to us. Uh, if people wanted to find you uh, through uh, website, social media, that kind of thing, if they're looking for a recovery speaker, how would they get in touch with Dan Hall? Well, the best way is going to be through my email and I'll give that to you here. It's D-R Hall, like Dr. Hall, 4134 at gmail.com. And just put in the subject speaker. And that way I'll know what they are looking for. Or if they're looking to somebody just to talk about the addiction they have with pornography, they can just, you know, put in the subject, anything they want. And then in the body of the letter, you know, share what's going on. I'd be happy to talk to anybody and, uh, and do that. You know, we find out that people don't reach out until they're at the bottom. Till of the course. Until so, the hurt becomes more than the pain. So uh, you're, you're saying that people should not just uh, get out on the, on the web and search for pornography to find you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. All right. Good. That's exactly. an important safety tip. They won't find me, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah. no, because men, you know, fear, you know, I misphrase that, you know, when, when the pain becomes more than fear, that's when a lot of men reach. And I hate to have them get to that point. I like to catch it earlier. Yeah, the quicker we address some of those things, the uh, less painful the process is. And certainly the less painful uh, the, the collateral damage, I guess I'll say. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 